Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about us. Directed by Jordan Peele. Cast includes Maz Kanata, M'Baku, Free Real Estate, Handmaid's Tale, Shahad, Shahadi, is that how you say it? Shahadi? Shahadi Wright Joseph and Evan Alex. Uh, I watched this in theaters, Joey. I assume you did that as well? I did. No pirating on Affable Chat. We go, we pay for the, the movie tickets. That's I right. actually saw this one twice. So uh, did I. Which was worth it, I think. Uh, a lot of, I it was a lot clearer to me the second time. Yeah, I had, I was paying a lot closer attention the second time. Which this movie does warrant. It's very well planned out. Uh, Joey, go ahead and give us that synopsis. A successful man gets a great deal on a used boat. Yes, sir. That is us. I'll go ahead and get us started with my pros. I thought this movie was. First off, it's really funny, and the dialogue is realistic. Uh, it, that's something that I really enjoy in horror movies is kind of breaks from the terror where you can kind of feel at home and be like, oh, okay, they're being funny now. You know, I can relax a little bit, uh, especially because the first time I watched this one, I was genuinely scared for most of it uh, just because it's rated R. It's a horror movie. I'm kind of a scaredy cat, so uh, the suspense was definitely there, and they do a good job of trying to keep that suspense alive, although it didn't, I don't think I was scared towards the end, um, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. The great acting all around. It's such a cool like idea to have all the characters play two or all the actors play two characters. And I thought they all did uh, really well in both of their roles, especially uh, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Moss. Her, the way she contorts her face in that scene where uh, Tim Heidecker's like clone dies is just, it was chilling. It was amazing, and uh, you got to really appreciate what she brought to the screen, but all of them, really. Um, there's a lot of setups and payoffs in this movie, which is why it was especially satisfying to watch for the second time, because when you see them talking about things, like, oh, I remember, okay, oh, yeah, I got that, you know, they, they get back to that, and we'll, we'll cover those as well. Um, it was... It was a suspenseful and scary horror movie, and as a person who can't handle like the scariest of the scary stuff, it never reached that point, so that's a pro for me. Um, very creative premise, not a surprise when it's Jordan Peele, and uh, great soundtrack, great inclusions of a lot of great songs, and a nice twist at the end. Yeah, uh, while we heap on praise, yeah, I want to agree completely. A unique and haunting premise, something that really kind of sticks with you. It delivers on both levels. It's both an entertaining and fun horror movie, but it also leaves the audience with a message that is difficult to forget. Um, it subverts horror tropes effectively, and it's very stylistic and compact. Um, and there's lots to unpack in almost every scene. And the, like you said with the acting, like there's really incredible special effects, having both actors in the same scene at the same time, You know, having cameras pan from one to the other, and having them like you know, 
uh, like replace themselves is incredible. And the sound design and uh, it was just impeccable ca- acting by everyone. Let's talk about some of the things that we didn't like. Um, well, first of all, what are the rules exactly? Um, like what? How does this uh, whole thing work? And um, like, what are some nitpicks about logistics? Like, how do they get all the stuff? Um, some of the lighting was really dark. It was a little hard to see what was going on, which probably is intentional. But um, you know, when you see a movie like this, and especially in theaters, you kind of want to see all the detail. And um, some of the lighting was just kind of like drab. Um, and there wasn't enough doppelganger shenanigans for me. You know, there was a little bit in there. And although I think I put an asterisk on this because I feel like um, if they had done too much of this, it would kind of subverted the message that they were trying to trying to push. But um, like there wasn't enough like, oh, he's pretending to be the other person. You know, like you see that in every single movie that has like twins in it. You see it, like in the island with that Michael Michael Bay film where they like pretend to be each other. Um, uh, like uh, there's a tons of movies that use like twins as a kind of plot element the same the uh, same complaint i had with captain marvel where they got rid of the scrolls you know you have these guys who can shapeshift why don't you use them more um so i wish i had a little bit more doppelganger shenanigans i yeah i agree with the like how does what are the rules to this scenario you know like there's the tethered situation doesn't seem to be completely consistent and the first time i saw this movie that was a big problem for me the second time i i didn't focus on it as much and i, I don't think that you're meant to so it's i think you can consider it like kind of a nitpick but we'll discuss it and see if we can hash out exactly what this situation is uh with the tethered uh and then my other uh con is that the underlying meaning of this film i think is kind of up for grabs but i'm willing to have my mind changed on this one as always i I try to go in with an open mind on all this stuff uh but just comparing it to jordan peele's other work get out it's a lot harder, in my opinion, to discern the underlying message in this one uh, versus in Get Out, where it's very clear. I so, think I think you're right that it is a little hard to, to discern, but I think the message is pretty straightforward. I think there's really only one interpretation. Okay, we well, I look about. forward to uh, hearing that I'm sh- as we will cover it. Uh, f- but first, let's get into our overall section. Uh, Us is a great thriller. Uh, it's full of mystery and suspense so that it keeps you on the edge of your seat. But it's also funny and real, so it kind of feels like it could really happen. There's nothing too supernatural going on here. I mean, obviously, all these like clones, but they're like the government. But it, 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 <laughs> it never totally leaves the realm of uh, reality. The screenplay is so carefully crafted. The dialogue feels real, but it's also interesting and funny. I mean, even if some of the uh, dialogue wasn't just setting up a callback. It's entertaining dialogue in the moment. Like when you, when you join this family on their, like when they're arriving at their summer home, you feel like you're just witnessing something that's really happening, which is, which is really cool. Um, There are so many callbacks. I mean, Seriously, this movie almost requires a second viewing uh, just so you can see how well set up the film was. Uh, It was definitely uh, eye-opening for me on the second viewing, just how much thought was put into setting this up. Um, It's fun and thrilling all the way through, uh, but there's also tons of Easter eggs and traces of an underlying message that help this movie stay in your head long after you've left the theater, especially because of the late twist. Uh, The cast is solid all the way through, especially because all the main characters play, or all the main actors play two characters. I especially loved uh, Lupita's performance I, I already heaped some praise onto elizabeth moss but uh lupita having to play this like 
weird voiced clone because her uh, throat got crushed, I think was really tough to pull off without seeming just straight up funny. Uh, and it never came across as funny to me. It always came across as chilling. Yeah. Uh, so I I thought she did extremely well. Uh, Tim Heidecker was perfectly cast as the <laughs> as like the rich asshole husband. Which, if you're a fan of some of his other works, this is one of his greatest talents. Like he he uh, Tim Heidecker is very talented at acting like a an oblivious just asshole really someone who acts like a dick but doesn't really think he's acting like a dick you know he's just acting like he does and yeah. uh and he does it without going too far so i i, I really enjoyed his include not only his inclusion in this film but also uh just the way he performed it both as himself and as his tethered clone both of them act just like tim heidecker like <laughs> one of the best laughs in like the first time i saw this was on uh opening weekend Actually, it was the second weekend after opening, and there were still a lot of people in the theater. So, like, there's a lot of laughs, a lot of screams. It was very loud in there in general. When I saw it yesterday, again, there was way less people in there, a lot less audience audience reactions. But when Tim Heidecker climbs onto the yacht and he's looking for uh, for Winston, what was his uh, his oh uh, Gabe. Yeah, when he's looking for Gabe, and Gabe's hiding down below with the uh, flare gun. He's like looking around silently, and then you see him like drop his arms in like a like a what the you know he's like so expressive without saying anything, <laughs> so, just amazing, and uh, definitely drew a big laugh even from the small audience. Uh, and the kids are fantastic as well, which is something that I rarely say about uh, child actors. I'm it's, I feel like I usually prefer to keep kids out of it especially when it's a horror movie and you know there's gonna be a lot of screaming and crying but these kids were just absolutely fantastic especially with their tethered they were uh, horrifying especially yeah. the uh the young girl the yes she was even more so than like the the, the kid with the mask the yeah, way she, she was, looks at you it's like she oh. smiled yeah <laughs> uh, so it's yeah, just all fantastic all the way through so yeah i I agree with all, all things you just said. The movie, the movie really delivers. It starts off slow with like a bunch of these little coincidences and creepy music. And I was kind of getting frustrated because like, what is this going to be? Like, is this just going to be like, oh, like kind of glimpses of the ghost or whatever, you know, is going to happen. Um, I really didn't know much about this movie coming into it. I hadn't seen any trailers. I had just kind of heard kind of the premise. Um, so I really didn't know what to expect. And they, I feel like they do a, a really good job of kind of bringing in the monsters, which is the others, you know, the tethered um in pretty quickly and then moving the story along like very naturally and like it, the movie doesn't seem long at all it actually kind of seems short even though it's like two hours long um and once it like the horror begins it just escalates and escalates but it doesn't linger too long on one thing and it just kind of moves toward this nice conclusion um with a you know very solid pace the tone of this horror movie i put horror in quotes is kind of odd although there are moments that are gen that genuinely scared me it kind of made me gasp and like, like, oh no, what's going to happen? You know, uh, when she like walks back into Tim Heidecker's house and the twin is there, right? And she's like, she's not on the, on the thing. And she like comes at her and then she's like jumping at her. Like she's like some sort of feral animal. Um, like there's, uh, I, uh, there's a certain point where like I stopped being kind of afraid for the family. Like it's not that I didn't care about the characters. I really liked all the characters. Uh, I thought the character development in this movie was excellent. But there was a certain point where I just kind of could tell by the tone of the movie that nothing bad was going to happen to them. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. Because again, I was genuinely scared going into this movie because I had no idea what to expect. I had seen trailers. I kind of knew the premise, but I didn't know how graphic it was going to get. And after comparing what happens when the tethered show up at the Wilson household versus at Tim Heidecker's household, um, I was like, okay, the main characters are not are probably not going to die because look how they're tethered toyed with them versus the Tim Heidecker where they literally just walked up and stabbed them. And then you yeah. see on TV that that's how everyone else is dying. So I'm like, okay, this family is special. They're not going to die. Right. And that's kind of like the, the premise, I guess. And it is interesting because um, like you, you, you start to wonder like why they're doing that, like why they're coming at it from that direction. You know, why don't they just stab them? Why don't they just hit them? Um, but once you kind of realize that that's not going to happen, then like, some of the tension gets released. But I think that that actually helps the movie in a weird way, because during that final shot, final showdown between Adelaide and her shadow, um, the tethered girl, um they after she adelaide delivers that final blow it's like this it turns into this brutal like murder you know like you hear all the bones crack you see her like you know choke the life out of her she's gonna die like right there but she's like i have to kill her i have to make sure she's dead and she lets out like the primal scream and she's like gnashing her teeth like she's some sort of like weird zombie um which of course like ties into the twist too but it just kind of reframes the movie in a in a big way the, the the twist and that moment it helps like build up this idea that oh maybe the tethered aren't like necessarily the bad guys even though they are killing lots of people maybe they actually have a point of some sort right and, and that's why i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that the movie becomes less scary and less suspenseful as it goes on because the intrigue and the mystery uh increases you know inversely proportionally so are, yeah is that the way to use those words basically yes. it gets more you, you get more interested in the mystery and figuring out what's going on versus just be straight up being scared that the main characters are going to get hurt right and and that helps a lot and i think but i also think that the tone shift is showing like having it kind of be kind of whimsical almost almost like the, the violence is gory and bloody but it's really quick you don't really see the aftermath that much it was but until that very last kill when she kills that last one the last tethered it like really shifts and you're like oh like this is this is uncomfortable to watch it was especially hard to watch the second time i saw it you know because i knew it was coming and i was just like it was just awful it's like a really visceral death and it makes you I mean, it makes you really uncomfortable and I, I think that's the the purpose of it it's supposed to kind of give you that uncomfortable feeling that that sits with you the rest of the um you know as you leave the theater but yeah, I mean, the acting is, of course, really incredible. Um, having everyone play two characters and then having the cameras kind of move back and forth, pan and switch, uh, you know, it must mean so much delicate acting and directing in order for them to pull something like this off because it seems so seamless. That's the thing that's so ironic about this is that the acting and the directing is so good that you that they almost seem like they're two different actors playing the same character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's not what's happening. They're credited as being the same thing. And so, like, it does such a good job that you don't even pick up on, like, the special effects of, like, how they, or the camera trickery, which is exactly what you want from a movie like this. You know, I, I'm reminded of The Twilight Zone um, that Jordan Peele is producing, and he's the narrator of the new one that's out on CBS Access, um, All Access, whatever it's called. In that first episode, The Comedian, there isn't much special effects at all, you know? It's just a creepy premise. There's some elaborate set design and stuff, but other than that, it's like there's no special effects, which makes it really impressive because 
it, it's like it's like the sci-fi premise. It's this weird, twisted thing, but it's all kind of in your head. It's all about the implication. Um, and this movie does the same thing. It does a lot with less, and um, I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's I have no idea how they plan this because uh, there's so <laughs> many different scenes where they're they're playing two different characters, but it's it's really well put together. Yeah, for sure. And I one last thing is I think the message of the movie is pretty straightforward, but it draws you in just enough to ask questions. And then when you find the answers to the questions, it's kind of like a gut punch. And he, he treat, Peel treats his audience with respect, um, despite there being kind of a little bit of like most of the dialogue in this movie is exposition. There is like some good moments with the family and stuff, but a lot of it, especially near the end, is like, oh, this is what happened. Here's our story. Um, but you kind of. You, you come along, he brings you in, and you come along for this stylistic and beautiful ride of horror, blood, and violence. And, w- and we'll get into that message uh, a little bit later, because I do, I do want to break that down and h- at least help me uh, understand it a little bit better. But first, I want to talk about some callbacks, because this was, on my second viewing, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, everything in this movie <laughs> is planned out. Um, the first thing, when they arrive at the or the first one on my list, uh, they're kind of out of order. But the when they get to the summer home, they encourage the daughter to go running. Yeah. Which is the way that she has to deal with her clone. She has to put up, she has to go just straight up run away. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. She also, they say you don't need to be able to drive if you're an Olympic athlete. So they also bring up the fact that she wants to start driving, which she ends up doing uh, a little bit later. The the boat motor one is really easy. Like they set that up immediately. When he first gets the boat, he has to learn how to hit it to start it up or restart it whenever it stops. And then using his head to like hit the motor one last time ends up being the way that they take down abraham right was yeah. that the name of the of yeah 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 the, the clone tethered of, for uh gabe yeah yeah so that was cool the flare that one was one of the best setup and payoffs <laughs> in the movie because tim is such a dick <laughs> and he that's w- the thing he brings up on the beach is that he didn't have a flare gun and then uh that was like this se- like it was such a funny like way to end that uh like tim heidecker's tether was to have him like fight with gabe in the boat after the flare does nothing yeah yeah but that's, i mean that's like another moment where like you can see the tone shift because like this should be like an intense fight between these two guys in close quarters but it cuts away and it's just like this almost comical like oh like you can see it from the outside um and like the lights are kind of flashing back and forth like you know he's gonna be fine like you don't see like you don't see them like struggle to you know to win and but you know Gabe's gonna make it out alive right especially because it's Gabe with no weapon versus Tim with a with the shears or whatever right yeah. and it's like you could in that same situation be like oh Gabe is gonna die here but at that point you just you know Gabe's gonna be fine and the way Tim it's framed is yeah 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 uh, okay, so the next one is the cartwheels because I, um, on the second watch through, I was like, "Dang, these twins are doing way too many cartwheels on the beach." She even cartwheels onto uh, the the sun's sandcastle. Yeah, and uh, they're also rich pricks as well. Those the twins or the girls? I don't know if they're twins. They look very similar, but they are uh, twins. Yeah, when they when they're uh, tethered, show up, they're cartwheeling all over the place. Also, cartwheeling way too much. Uh, so that was like kind of a more subtle that was really that was a good creepy moment i like that part a lot 
What are they? Because like you see them cartwheel across, and you're like, and so you know exactly what it is, right? You know it's the twin. You know it's the tethered twin. Um, and she's like, you know, doing weird. You know, she's doing cartwheels like uh, her tethered, her tethered other part was doing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, what the like an exorcism type thing, you know, where like it's creepy to see somebody who's like a clone of someone else doing wacky things, like cartwheeling around. Like, what a natural way to get around. And, uh, <laughs> so that was a pretty cool one. The uh, plastic surgery oh, that yeah. Elizabeth Moss's character does her. Tethered has scars on her face from, tr- I guess, trying to recreate the same thing underground. Yeah, that was pretty creepy. And I was one. I was. So, I was so confused when she cut her own face, right? Um, but she like, but it must be like she puts on the makeup, right? And she like recognizes that that's something that her other half used to do, and then she cuts her face. I think in the same for the same reason, right? She cuts because she believes that that will make her more beautiful. Um, and that's like what her other half used to do. And it's like this weird perversion of under, like underground of what, what they can understand the above ground people are doing. Right. Oh but yeah. You see this moment again with, um, with Gabe and his, uh, his tethered Abraham, when, uh, Abraham takes his glasses, when, uh, Gabe like pushes up his glasses like involuntarily and his tether does the same thing he like also pushes it up and then he takes the glasses off him and he finally understands why he does that move you know why is he always touching the middle of his forehead it's because he has glasses on he like never understood that until he saw him with them on well, how does he get his glasses back that was a good question I don't know I meant I to pay attention but I got distracted by the movie right because because Abraham takes them off and like then he puts them in his pocket I guess Right, and then the next time you see Gabe, um, he's he's on the boat, and like you know, honking the horn or whatever after it, he defeats him, right? Uh, well, I mean, next time you see Gabe, he's in a trash bag, being right, like, but he doesn't have his glasses on then, right? So I don't know, maybe he's got he backup the glasses, glasses. He doesn't have the glasses on when he's in the water, right? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe you put him on the boat or something. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but that is a that's a good that's a good reference as well. Uh, another one is the ambulance. They use, or rather, the son uses his, the um, ambulance to as a doorstop. The little oh. toy ambulance uh, to keep the the un the, the door that always locks. I guess uh, from that from the inside. From the yeah, so he uses it as yeah, a doorstop, yeah. and then at the end of the movie, the ambulance is their uh, mode of transportation. Their way out. Ooh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another one, another callback there. The government conspiracy theory that the daughter brings up. She says, "You know, the government's putting fluoride in the water to control everyone, and nobody cares." And she's like, "Oh, I forgot. Nobody cares about the end of the world." And then yeah. the the re like. This ends up being a government conspiracy where they're trying to control everyone like puppets. So, yeah. and so she was kind of right. So that was that was another callback there. And the son uh, with his snap, Jason. I keep calling them by their relation to each other, but <laughs> Jason. Uh, remember when they're listening to "I Got Five on it, and yeah. uh, Lupita asks uh, Jason to. Uh, like get in rhythm and snap his fingers that ends up being a thing for the rest like the whole rest of the movie with uh jason and his tethered uh figuring out the consequences of him having snapped or playing with his little 
magic trick uh, all the time, burning up the face of his tethered. So right. it, it all it all ties together there. So really cool. I mean, just a really well constructed um, movie where there's everything gets brought back up again later. Everything has a purpose. You really can't afford to stop paying attention even for a minute because you'll likely miss something, which I think is really nice. So. Let's get into some questions I have because I do think that the the script itself is constructed really well, and as a movie, it's uh, it it's it's executed very well. But the whole premise of the people underground, I think, brings up some questions that I don't necessarily know the answers to. So my first question is, what makes Red or the the clone of um, the mother special? Why right. is why can she be their messiah and lead this revolt? I I don't know. Like I I was trying really hard to pay attention. I thought she said something about like the end of the dance was some sort of key or cue or something. I don't know what it was. It must have been something like. Uh, well, she she called like, it a miracle. Maybe it was just that she like danced really well, and that was like her like that was proof to the tethered that like beauty can exist underground i don't know like but, but so the implication there is that there are no other young dancers in the yeah, united states with tethered that are doing See, that's the, the biggest thing. problem with this movie is that they're like everyone has a tethered you know there's like no exceptions right like that's that's where things kind of get weird and like a lot of the inconsistencies show up um which like I don't know. I don't really necessarily think it distracts from the horror or the message from the movie, but it definitely kind of like makes you think like, oh, why, you know, why is it like this or whatever? But I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the most important thing to take away. I don't, this seems like a, an important thing that we're missing though. It's like, why does the dancing make her special? I, that was not clear at all to me why that specific thing, why that one specific action was like that was different than all the other ones you know i was waiting for some moment at the end of the dance when like she breaks free of the of the tether or something but i i that didn't happen like she's always in in sync with her i don't understand what the what the uh actual implication was but what was interesting though when i was because i was paying very close attention to it was that um she had so much less room to dance she kept pushing against the walls of the underground you know she kept her stage was much smaller um which kind of you know ref, like also supports this message of you know these people underground don't have the same capability as the people above ground they don't have the same freedom that the people above ground do they're constantly walled in so that was kind of a cool little um piece well you know what i'm saying there's, there's the ingredients are all there we have like if you made a hard rule that the people on the ground always have to do what the people above ground are doing, that gives them a reason to be stuck down there because they would yeah. never be able to get up. And then you switch it. You bring an above ground person underground and then make them do something that breaks the spell or changes the, the situation so that now the tethered are untethered. And then it's like, okay, now that we're free, we should unite and go above ground and kill everybody. That, to me... Seems like Pause. a pretty, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, like it's all consistent, but they're not free from the tether because we see, especially with Jason, that they still do mirror each other's actions. And also, do you mirror your actions or you do the same exact actions, you know, because yeah. when Jason was holding up his right hand, his clone was holding up his left hand. So is it mirroring or is it being a puppet in the exact same Right. Thing? And then like, you know, like, the, like, uh, Red says to Adelaide, right? She says like, 
Um, when you ate food, it was warm and delicious. And when I ate food, it was cold and like rabbits. Yeah, it was <laughs> when bloody rabbits, yeah. When you got a uh, present on Christmas, it was soft and cushy. And when I got a present, you it was cold and cut my fingers. Like, So it's like a... It's like a dark reflection, right? It's not a perfect reflection. It's a like, it's like the opposite almost. Right. And who who decides how close they get to the real thing? Because that black T-shirt that is like in place of the Michael Jackson T-shirt from Above Ground, it's pretty similar. Like somebody sat down with the arts and crafts and made a shirt that is pretty close to the Thriller shirt without any actual screen printing. So why do the toys have to be cold and sharp, right? Like, <laughs> how close can we get? So just the rules seem a little bit inconsistent. I'm glad you brought up the rabbits because let's talk about that. I think the rabbits kind of serve as the, like, infinite food supply because rabbits reproduce so quickly and also rabbits are a popular thing to clone. So it, 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 they, they very much fit in here with the theme. But what are the rabbits eating if the rabbits are the main source of food, right? I didn't see any grass down there. And... <laughs> uh, again with the rabbits I, I i am not a big fan of people talking during movies and i've i've had people disagree with me and they're like no you, you the reason you go to the movies is so that you and your friends can talk during the movie i i big disagree That's stupid a big disagree <laughs> but i will i will give credit where credit's due because when they first show the underground uh when yeah, adelaide yeah. finally gets down there and you see all the bunnies all over the place he whispers he's like like where's all the rabbit where's the rabbit poop like where because with that many rabbits there's gonna be tons of poop everywhere and i was like dude yeah you're it was exactly super right. clean down there it was yeah. like really nice actually yeah and it's and it did have this kind of like dream-like feel where it's like you're in this otherworldly place you know but that's never explained they're never like hey these rabbits don't poop you know or, or something like that uh they, they just are down there so okay that one's definitely a nitpick you don't have to put poop just because you have rabbits in the movie but I just think that they kind of threw that idea out there. It's like, oh, rabbits are the food supply, the end, you know? And I just don't totally understand the whole situation. Also, the so it's a government, it's a government, like... Conspiracy. Cons yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a government program that they were trying to do to control everyone above ground, but it failed, right? They couldn't control the public like they wanted to. So they just leave everyone down there? Wouldn't the government destroy their failed project, you know? That's just asking for it, to leave the entire population of the United States underground, right? I mean, yeah, but, like, I, I don't know. I think, like, that kind of um, mass negligence is kind of what we can kind of what we can expect from the U.S. government in some <laughs> respect. So, you know, okay. somebody was just like, "Why don't we just, you know, they'll be fine. We'll just leave them down there. It's fine. <laughs> they have rabbits." <laughs> Fair enough. And maybe they were like, "There's no way the rabbits will sustain them forever." <laughs> yeah. Maybe they thought that. Yeah. Maybe they thought they were taking care of the problem themselves. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm willing to concede on that one. Um, but yeah. So when are the tethered in control of their own actions, and when are they not? I don't, okay, so I don't know, but my theory is, like, uh, like, uh, um, involuntary actions. So, you see, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jason and his tethered, uh, Pluto. Pluto is, like, feral, right? He, like, he never says, any, like, well, none of the tethered can speak, first of all, but, except for, um, Red. Right. But. Uh, he like, you know, he kind of makes these weird grunting noises. He scurries around like he's like a spider and he like, you know, he's obsessed with fire. He's like very like, he's very much like a primal, like he's more like a monkey than he is like a person. You know what I mean? Or a dog. 
Or a dog, yeah. That too. Because he's like rubbing his head against like uh, Adelaide's uh, or Red's uh, hand and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it makes sense from that perspective that he's like not in complete control of his own actions. He's like very instinctual. That he's like very, he's very much in, um, in this like in tune with his tether so that Jason is much easier, has a much easier time controlling him. Oh. You see, uh, the only other evidence I have for this is that same glasses moment with Gabe and Abraham when Gabe involuntarily pushes his glasses up. It's a, you know, it's a, it's one of those things that like, it's like a, not, not a tick, but like, you know, you know what, what's the word? Like, it's a thing that you do. It's like a habit, I guess. Yeah, it's a thing that you do that like you don't think about. It's just like a instinctual moment, movement, something that you've trained yourself to do. Um, When he does that, Abraham does the same thing. When he pushes up his glasses, Abraham does like mimics him and pushes up his glasses, even though Abraham doesn't have any glasses on. Then Abraham realizes what the hell's going on, and he's like, "Oh, he's wearing glasses. That's why he keeps doing that." So he does the same thing. He does the same thing. He grabs the glasses from Gabe, pushes them up. To the like with the coin with the center of it, and then he like fixes his hair, you know, like that. That whole moment seems like he's acting without thinking, right? It's like he's when Gabe does something that's not voluntary, or he's doing something instinctual. That's when Abraham's instincts take over too, and he just like you know has is compelled to do the same thing. But I don't know, like it doesn't really make sense. Like why would you? What about the whole fight at the end, right? Where like, are they tethered or are they not? Like, can they control each other or currently can they not? Ooh. I don't really know what the, uh, I don't know. There, there isn't really a consistent rule. Well, is is going to the fair like a totally uh, instinctual activity because everyone was doing their tethered thing in that? Yeah, and then like when she's like after they break free, right? Once they like once they plan up this, once they start planning this whole thing. They're all, all organized and are like putting stuff in the beds and like they're all zipping up the things and you know like that they're clearly untethered at that point. You right, know? right. So, I, I I don't know. Like I don't know what the what the implication is. It could be that you know um what's her name from underground like once she once she like did that dance or something that like broke the spell of some sort. Like I'm willing to concede that, but that's yeah. not like what happens. Plus, there's that whole moment when the uh you know. At the very end, after the twist, when you realize that the girls switched places when they were like little girls, that whole moment when she walks up the escalator and then she drags herself downstairs, like she must have been untethered to do all of that, right? Right. And that was before all of the dancing. So I don't know what's going on. But my whole thing, my whole thing, this is my big nitpick. Like, what about all the other people that work underground? You know, what about all the guys like work in the sewers, right? (laughs) <laughs> Wouldn't they eventually meet their doppelgangers and then their doppelgangers would replace them because they're like, hey, hey, you're you're me, but you're like your life is much better than mine. Why don't I you know, ch- choke you out and replace you? <laughs> like- <laughs> it reminds me of that Arnold Schwarzenegger quote from. Um, oh, my gosh. Total Recall. It's from Total Recall where he's like, you are not you. You are me. And then he says to himself, no shit. <laughs> I'm, I didn't even want to put that clip in here. You are not you. You are me. No shit. But you're right. Maybe those guys who like actually work in the sewers, their tethers live above ground. Like they go around just like, whoa, 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 like acting yeah, like, the, yeah. like the sewer guys do when they're at work. <laughs> <laughs> right, because they're like, you know, yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, but see, that's the thing. It's like, I think they had a chance. I, I think it's kind of um, not 
necessarily the focus of this film. I know we're spending no, a lot no, of time no. on it. So it, it, I don't think that's necessarily something they need to do. But at the same time, I feel like it wouldn't have been that hard to give us at least some concrete answers down here so yeah, that well, we are, we're not left like, wondering. There really is only that one moment. There's that moment when Pluto walks into the fire that's like explicit, oh, they can control each other, right? Mm-hmm. They have, there's like, the tether is still there. I, if it wasn't for that, then you, you wouldn't really be talking about this at all, honestly, because the moments when they actually copy each other are so subtle otherwise. You know, but um, that like, that moment is really cool. <laughs> it's like, it's really awesome watching him like back up and then he backs into the fire. That's like an awesome, that's an awesome scene. Oh, yes. And did you notice that Red was hiding in front of that car the whole time? Like when she comes out of the shadows oh, really? just to pick up Jason. She, I was looking, I couldn't see her. She was standing up against a red car that is the same color as her suit. And her head oh. is up against a very dark black uh, window. So when, when you see Jason back up, it's a great shot. It's like he's taking his final few steps back. You see her in the background. She's all blurry because the camera's in focus on Jason. But you see her kind of stand up straight and it's like, oh, Oh, yeah, she's yeah. been there the whole time which is just hiding cool. in plain sight which is very cool i was trying to see if she was there like when like moments before that but i i couldn't see her um but, but here's another like cool like uh mirror moment there's a lot of moments in here that like mirror each other and i think the the setups and payoffs kind of mirror the mirroring motif in this movie but one of, but uh notice right before they meet pluto and he has the uh you know he's got the car burning in the background and he's like underneath the car or whatever um jason finally pulls off that trick that he keeps trying to do he keeps like flicking that thing and he finally gets it and that's the same time that pluto pulls off his trick to blow up the car wow yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah. anyway i there i feel like there are a lot of things that you can nitpick about this movie you'd say like oh this thing you know this thing doesn't make sense this like there's inconsistency here you know why don't if they can go up, up to the surface and get shears and um and red jumpsuits why don't they go up there and get like TVs and books and something and teach themselves how to speak. You know, why why not create like you know that if like some like uh corporation found out that there's all these people underground, they'd be marketing themselves to them so hard, <laughs> you know? There's a whole new population to advertise to. Like <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, like okay, the, can I can I just get two more quick nitpicks yeah, yeah, in there? Yeah. Just because I feel like we haven't completed our nitpicking without these two. <laughs> so um the first one is, yeah, where do they get all the supplies? And this one again, I don't feel like it's that hard to give us an answer. Uh because Obviously, there was originally an operation going on down here. Maybe all the staff that was t- like working with these people wore red suits, you know, and maybe mm, there was yeah. a reason. Maybe they used the shears. Like maybe originally this was about cloning rabbits and the shears they used to like cut the rabbit's head off or something. And they had like a bunch of shears or something like that. You know, like just give us something. But they just make six million suits spawn and, and, and six million pairs of shears spawn out of nothingness. It's like oh okay <laughs> well that's what i was wondering too it's like there must be some manufacturer of shears out there who's missing a huge supply you know like <laughs> there's some warehouse out there and they're like all right we're going to we need to deliver these shears someone ordered you know a hundred thousand of these like golden shears they're like high quality very sharp 
and they go in there and they're gone. And they're like, <laughs> oh, God, what happened here? Where all these shears go? We made all of them, but they're not here. Well, and, Somebody got fired over that. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, maybe it was the tethered of the guys that work at the shear factory because they do know like your thoughts and stuff. They know where yeah. you are and, and, and all your thoughts. So maybe they just showed up. They're like, OK, obviously, my tether is leaving at 8 p.m. So we'll just come in at 9, steal everything and go back downstairs easy enough right so you know what maybe that is how it happened maybe it's just one of the tethered did like a little bit of uh preliminary action before yeah yeah, this. yeah so i'm willing to to leave it up to that um the last one i want to bring up and this one I, i'm it's more of a genuine question versus a nitpick but how do you kill a tethered they said that they're human too but we see tim heidecker take a uh a fire poker to the temple that sticks into his head and he's just like I'm doing like a oh, what's that supposed to mean kind of motion because obviously he doesn't say anything. He's just like, Bleh. and he, he is able to continue on. I mean, maybe that's why it was easier for Gabe to kill him in the boat. But at that point, I was like, oh, no, are they like, you know, immortal? Well, I don't or? know. Like, they're like, I think they're just crazy. I like when um, what's her name? The uh, when Zora's tethered gets, uh, you know, uh, you know launched off the car and then she's in, like cut in half basically you know she's like her back is broken and she's hanging in the tree and she's still swiping at um adelaide right um she's like laughing which again is another great mirror moment because she came into the world laughing and then she died laughing so you know nice call back there nice. but it's also like i think they're just like so insane it's they've lost all like sense of like pain or like what that means you know and they're just like broken so broken as humans that like they can survive a little bit longer when like something would like normally just make you you know crush over in pain they're i guess maybe they're used to it maybe they're used to that kind of you know torture yeah you're right it and it is consistent because there are other tethered that we see survive a lot of pain to come back and at least just try to inflict some damage while they're dying because the dot tim heidecker's daughter even does that she lands on the table but then gets up which that was such a cool like thing to have they're all watching tv and there's this dead body yeah, and in she's the there center. in the middle yeah <laughs> uh, so okay I, I think that that definitely holds up okay enough asking questions those things are all very minor in the scope <laughs> we're not of this here to film. ask questions well yeah <laughs> uh let's move on to uh something that is also really cool about this movie is all the easter eggs and we'll start with all the appearances of 11 11 yeah there's a ton of them First of all, um, the at the fair, she picks out shirt number 11, uh, which is the Thriller shirt. Uh, then she sees a sign that says Jeremiah 1111, which is a quote from the Bible. Um, it says, you want me to say it? Go ahead. There, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster on them, which they will not be able to escape, though they will cry to me, yet I will not listen to them. Now, I read an article actually about this because I looked up what that, what that quote was. Um, and they said there's two different ways you can interpret this. Um, you can either interpret it as uh, the tethered being the people that, are, that have disaster brought upon them because they, um, you know, they live underground and their lives are miserable. Um, or it could be the tethered's um, like eventual rise to power, I guess you could say. Like their whole plan is to bring disaster upon the, uh, the upward world. So in both, whatever, basically this quote is saying somebody has to suffer. Um, and he's kind of interpreted which way you want to, way want you to say it. There's also, uh, another 11, 11 is, um, uh, Gabe is watching the giants game and the game is tied at 11, 11. 
which like is that even possible in football? It was baseball actually because it was oh, the okay. baseball giants because they said it was eleven eleven in the seventh inning. Which wow, what a game! <laughs> yeah, it's really high scoring. <laughs> um, the the clock was at eleven eleven in Jason's room when they point at it. Um, there's also the twins uh, t shirt on the beach. She has like four black lines on it, which looks like an eleven eleven. Yeah, it was like a. I guess it's a band called the. Yeah. I think they're called the White Flags or the Black Flags. Some flags, like that, yeah. yeah, but yeah, she definitely had a subtle eleven eleven on her shirt, uh, which is pretty cool. So a lot of references to that. Um, there was also a bunch of rabbits. Um, there was a little rabbit toy that um, that uh, Adelaide pulls up and then eventually Red cuts the head off of. Yes, and there is a rabbit. So when they're showing the scene where they're at the therapist and the oh, it, yeah. you, it's it's Adelaide is you know the switch she's sitting out there playing with toys while her parents with air quotes here are inside talking to the therapist and she's lining up all the animals in one straight really long line and then the <laughs> last one she puts in the middle that completes the line is a little tiny rabbit yeah a little white rabbit that's right there's also a rabbit on Zora's shirt um that she's wearing and and she's also wearing a shirt later that says though which is a rabbit in Vietnamese, is that right? I guess you can pronounce it as Tho. I'm not exactly sure how they pronounce it, but it's like a, it's the... T-H-O. T-H-O, but the O has like a little dash over the top of it or some weird yeah, character. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I looked at... Well, actually, I don't know how to type that weird O with a dash over it, so I can't independently verify this on Google Translate, but I saw multiple articles that came to the same conclusion. So Okay. Um, there's also the rabbits underground, of course, like they represent the tethered, uh, once, you know, once they come down, once Adelaide comes downstairs to confront red, that's when you see all the rabbits running free, um, you know, not in their cages anymore. So that's like a, you know, symbolic of the tethered themselves now being set free. Um, and of course at the end, Jason has a rabbit with him in his uh, seat. He's like, uh, from underground. Nice little keepsake. Yes. And I got one more, and this is my favorite one. Tim Heidecker's boat um, is called Biatch. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not a yacht, but like it's spelled like yacht. Uh, B-yacht. Yeah, which fits perfectly with who he is in this movie. Again, I'm so yeah. happy. Like, I hope that more people become fans of tim heidecker as a result of this or at least check out his other stuff i would love for his like brand of humor to go more mainstream because yeah he's hysterical he's hilarious is on cinema gonna do a a, uh, a video about us i hope so they have to i mean it's so big <laughs> and they did talk about ant-man after uh greg turkington was on that so oh really yeah so did they mentioned that he was in it yeah they did that's great. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> intent that if you haven't seen it on cinema, if you're actually if you're listening to this podcast, you you should uh, listen to on cinema or watch on cinema because it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a shorter. Uh, so, anyways, yeah. Tim Heidecker is great, and his yacht is also pretty great. So another one, another Easter egg is when they're watching the TV at the beginning, which that was such a cool way to introduce this film. Uh, was the commercials on the TV like back in the 80s 
where you see young Adelaide, uh, or young Red, actually, watching the TV. And, dude, how cool is it when between commercials you could see the reflection, and it was yeah, her was awesome. watching the TV, not a camera pointed at the TV. Very cool. Very, Very. well edited. Uh, but to the left of the TV, on the shelf, there were some uh, VHSs. One of them was Goonies, uh, which is also about some people that live on the ground. But all, uh, another one was Chud, which Chud is a horror film from the 80s or even before that. I'm, I'm not sure when Chud was, but it's an old horror film. And it's Chud stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. And it's a horror movie about these monsters that live in the sewers that come up above ground and wreak havoc. So very much a parallel to the premise of this film it's as well. It's from 1984, by the way. 1984. And it's an, it's an iconic horror film that's referenced in other movies like Evil Dead. We actually brought up Chud in our Evil Dead episode. Uh, so a nice little Easter egg there. It's like a cl- guess we have to watch it then. Yeah, it's a classic Easter egg. I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, haven't we seen it with all the references? Um, okay, another one that I thought was pretty cool. Do you remember when the Frisbee lands perfectly on that circle? Of course, how could I forget that? Right, but it's like, what's going on here? It's it, it. They so clearly are like, hey, take a look at this, but you're like, why? And, uh, <laughs> and I guess Adelaide kind of brings that up. She's like, all these coincidence, coincidences keep happening, and I think that she was referring to that uh, when she's trying to explain this whole situation to Gabe. But the Frisbee is red and gold, just like the red suits and the gold shears and the mm. gold gloves that the tethered all wear. So a promise of something to come. Yes, which I thought was pretty cool. Didn't notice it till the second time I watched it. And my last Easter egg was the concept of rock beats scissors, uh, because Jason, his weapon of choice, his improvised weapon of choice, is that like geode on yeah. a stand. And that's because rock beats scissors, which is the weapon that all the tethered use. Uh, so a nice little rock beats uh, yeah, r- rock beats scissors. And you do see some people playing rock, paper, scissors at the fair. And they're, right. you see they're tethered also trying to play rock, paper, scissors underground, which is an interesting... Like when I first saw it, I was like, "Okay, who cares? <laughs> Why? Like, what? What a weird thing to be doing to be like standing up against a wall at the edge of the fair playing rock paper scissors." Uh, but it's, <laughs> I think it's because it's kind of a nod to this whole idea of rock beats scissors. So I thought that cool. was pretty cool. So a lot of Easter eggs. I'm sure there's plenty we missed. Uh, there's this movie definitely gives you a reason to watch it more than once which is which is great i i'm already making plans to re-watch this this october in the lead up to halloween and i bet there's gonna be a popular halloween costume is to just mm. wear the red suit and have a, a gold glove on and be like i'm my own tethered ah that's a good one that's I, easy. <laughs> yeah as, as long as you can get that red jumpsuit i think that'd be a really easy one to pull off so i like that Okay, so another quality of this film is the fantastic music, and I just want to remind you of some of my favorites. At the beginning, when we see the family driving to their summer home, you hear I Like That by Janelle Monae. Janelle Monae, absolutely, hugely talented uh, performer and artist, and it was great to see her uh, get a song in this great movie. We also had um, Fuck the Police by N.W.A., which is played right after Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, which is, it's just a great, that whole, in that house, everything that happens in that house is absolutely fantastic. That's like some, some of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh yeah, that's, that whole part is cool because the, like, again, this is like subverting horror tropes. So like they're, they're fighting back, you know, and they're like doing a great job. And they're like, there's never like, 
there is one twin that like they think they kill and then they come back but like they never give him a chance to like come back they wail on him and they keep hitting him which i think again is like part of the theme of this movie but um the that that moment when um uh what's her name uh calls the tries to call the police ophelia try to call the police is i really like moments like that in horror movies because it shows like oh this person tries to really did try and they were screwed anyway i hate it when horror movies are like when like you're so easy to be like why don't you just do this why don't you just do that you know why like why aren't you thinking like clearly in this moment and obviously like i was i've never been chased by you know killers with scissors but i would like to think that i would be a little bit more rational um but in this movie they do act rationally right she tries to call the police and it doesn't work and that's like that's a great moment because it's like oh they really tried and they still failed that's 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 when you really like have a great horror movie premise right and at the same time it's a subtle jab at these what's really popular right now which is these home devices that listen to you so it's like call the police and they're like okay playing fuck the police <laughs> like so like so wrong and uh it, but it's also really fun i mean like that song is like a good i'm beating bad guys to death song yeah, uh, yeah. so that was pretty cool the and i like the, the main song i think the song that i'm gonna is always gonna remind me of this movie is i got five on it by Lunis. i think is how you i don't know i'm probably mispronouncing that but it's a classic um rap song rap and r&b song i this is how much I don't know about this song. I originally heard a version of this song on Vine. Uh, if you've heard of Caleb City, who recently hit a million on YouTube, which I'm very happy for him uh, that he did that. He was a Vine celebrity at first, and he 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 did a couple of times when the ice cream truck would come by. He would sing like this song, but with different lyrics, uh, where he would be like, "I got five on it." messing with that good ice cream which is like a really <laughs> pg version of what the actual song was but i remember commenting on one of his vines and i was like dude you should make this into a full-length song like an <laughs> idiot i didn't know that he was just changing a couple of words to a very very popular song <laughs> and i didn't realize that until i was sitting here in this watching this movie and i was like oh <laughs> oh my god so <laughs> but it is a great song i mean the reason i wanted him to extend it is because the chorus itself is really um unique and iconic so i i thought that was a good inclusion and then the horror remix which we were trying to remember when they play it in the movie i don't remember when they, play it. Remember I when think, they played it either, I but they think do it play must it. be when they're um like after they've killed the other family once they've killed the white family okay I think that that's got to be around when it happens. It's, it's worth another watch to find out, I think. Yeah. But uh, they do a horror remix. The, and once you've heard the horror remix, you realize it's actually not that much of a difference from the original version. Because the original version does kind of have a haunting aspect to it. Uh, mm. But the remix is fantastic and a great song to like pair with this movie to say like, that's why we're playing it at the top of the episode, because I think it does a good job of kind of encapsulating kind of the feeling of this film. So uh, there were more songs than that, but those are the ones I wanted to bring up all together. Just a really great uh, soundtrack to go along with this, which is no surprise because it's, it's Jordan Peele. Um, next up, we have quotable moments. And while we can't actually rip these from the, movie because it's still in theaters we can talk about them uh my first one is the quote from red where they ask like who are you and she says we're americans 
which I think is like I think basically is the setup for the underlying theme here, the message behind the film. Yes, I think so too. And I I didn't realize it until I just read this here. But I think the title of the movie is supposed to, may be able to maybe a um you know interpreted two ways possibly. I mean there is a lot of duality in this movie, so it's possible that us could also meet stand for the U.S. Yes, um, yes, definitely. And there is a I mean because of this quote and uh, m- mentions throughout. I think that the U.S. is a is a big theme in this movie about like our our role as people in the U.S. Um, so yeah, this, this is this is a, a really interesting part because it's it's almost like comical. Like she says, "We're Americans." Like that's like that's supposed to make sense. Um, and, and it's but like I think that fits in with like what they're trying to say. So um, yeah, it's. It's one of those things that like you laugh at it the first time you hear it because you're so something so unexpected, but then the second time you're like, oh, that's cutting. Yeah, and they're, I mean they're not wrong. They live in America and they're the same. They share a soul with Americans too. So yeah, it's technically correct. All right, my uh, first quote is, uh, "How many of everybody is there going to be?" This is when um, this is something that Jason mentions, um, and then they turn on the TV and see this is something that's happening all over the country. Um, and that's like a crazy moment because I did not expect that at all. I expected it to be like, you know, this one family. And then when they, when you see Tim Heidecker's fa- like copies come in, I'm like, oh, wow, like this is happening other places. And then they start seeing it everywhere. And, they, and then that's the first time you see the line that they created too. Um, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's another like haunting moment where you're like, how many of everybody is there going to be? Yeah, if only they had taken the small soldiers route uh, for this film, where they originally have to fight off their their uh, their tethered and kill them once, but then battle damaged red finds like a <laughs> a <laughs> a stockpile of a bunch of clones of them. So it's not just one clone, but it's an endless army, and then they have to fight off hordes and hordes of just them, like copies of themselves. That's a whole different movie. But this line, I think, would be the setup if that movie was being made. You know, sure. if they were like, "How many of you know? How many of everybody is there going to be?" And then you find out it's not just you have one clone, but you have like infinite clones of yourself, and they're just going to keep coming. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Us too. Make it happen. Um. Okay. My last quote is, uh, everything's going to be like it was before. This is what Adelaide says to Jason after she kills red. Um, and clearly this is not true. I mean, there's like all these people up there. How many people must've died, right? Like how many people didn't expect someone to come up, come at them with some scissors and, and kill them so easily? Like it, it's crazy. And to think that like everything's going to be back the way it was is, is wrong. But I, this is also a common quote for those people, for people in power in the real world, right? Or we want everything to go back the way things were. We want things to be, you know, back when things used to be, when things were great again. Great <laughs> again? That, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, this idea that, like, things are okay and that we shouldn't change and that everything should go back to the way things were, back before you guys got a mind of your own, back before you, ro- you rose up and created trouble and made us aware of the problems that we're facing. You know, that's when things were better back before we knew anything. So I, um, I like this quote a lot. I think it, again, frames the movie and the theme of the movie very well. Well, great, because I want to talk about the theme of this movie. So I think you know what time it is, Joey. It's time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. First, hands across America. 
this was like a, this is a real thing. I had no idea this is a real thing, and that surprises me because it was a huge deal. Uh, it happened in 1986. There was this big movement uh, by this uh, organization called USA for Africa, um, which is like United like um, Artists for Africa, I think, Some, something along those lines. Um, uh, basically, it was this big event that was put on across the country where everyone in the country was supposed to hold hands for 15 minutes. And they like created this big chain and stuff. And uh, it didn't actually stretch from coast to coast. There were breaks in the chain, but enough people participated that if it was stretched out as like to a reasonable amount, like everyone's kind of like had their hands out enough, it, they could have made it all the way across. It was just not like logistically feasible for people to go out into the middle of the desert or like nowhere. I mean, it's, it's not always sunny, you know, or like warm. Some places were like really hot. Some places it was raining. So, you know, people didn't want to go outside, but, and it was only for 15 minutes, but like they had all these things involved, like the president at the time, like it was involved. There's all these celebrities that were like were photographed doing it and things. Um, there's all these people across the country that are holding hands. Um, and basically it was like this fundraising thing where like you, so you like gave $10 or something to reserve your place in line. And then you would like that went to the charity. They eventually raised like several million dollars for their thing, but not nearly enough, not nearly what their goal was supposed to be. So it wasn't like entirely success, um, but it was like a really interesting stunt that, that really did happen. Um, and the, so that's like what's reflective in the line that's happening, that's going across the country, right? And it's reasonable to, to assume that because um, Red has that shirt, that she participated in some way in this. And the, the purpose of this was to raise awareness about homelessness, raise money for homelessness in America and hunger in Africa, uh, which are, you know, pretty two big problems, I guess. So they were um, trying to address those in some big way. Any comments on that? Uh, I mean, I, I, this sounds like it was more successful than what I've read because it, it, I was I read it was kind of a big failure, and it was people focusing on the logistics of this line instead of focusing on the real problem that they're trying to bring attention to, like homelessness. Yeah, that's the thing that makes it that makes it really weird to me is that like it like was it really effective or was it just like kind of a fun thing to do, and was it really like it just seems like such a indirect way to get what you want I mean, it's definitely like a big thing that would make a big statement if you had something to say right but like the whole thing that's like we're united is like such a vague thing that could really apply to anything like the idea that they went after homelessness and hunger whereas like is like you know you could have chosen anything and like those are two big problems for sure but like why what does holding hands have to do with either of those things yeah i mean it, it's it's definitely something that's difficult to do but so is solving sure. homelessness so it's like hey wouldn't it be tough to solve homelessness yeah okay well let's do something else that's similarly difficult to bring awareness about how difficult it is to be like <laughs> okay well, well why are you doing this so many steps why not just stick to homelessness right like right. i guess maybe it's supposed to be an idea that raises money but it doesn't sound like that worked very well so no, it, i I, it, I mean they it costs so much just to organize the event that they didn't end up raising nearly enough to like reach their goal um yeah so it makes it confusing for this movie too like why did they like i can understand like from the plot perspective why they chose this because she had the shirt and it was something that she was aware of right and so she's like this is how people do protests maybe you know it's kind of a, a childish 
like ambition, I guess. But I mean, it is in this movie, it's certainly more powerful than I guess maybe in real life it was because you see all these people that certainly weren't there before and they're all out there, you know, holding hands and stuff and they're just like standing. It's like, but it's like, why exactly? You know, like, what, are the, what exactly are you trying to, to prove? There is another interesting aspect of this, though. You see the line, it is in Santa Cruz. And I looked up where Santa Cruz is. It's in, it's kind of in the northern half of California, which means it's almost a, like directly in the center of the continental United States. So, like, it's in, in theory, you could have a, a line that goes from there all the way to the other side of the country, and it would divide the country in half. So that's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, it was cool seeing like the beginning of the line because they go all the way to the water. And yeah, and they're like, people are up to like their necks. And then, then that last shot where they're over the mountains and stuff is so like crazy. Oh man, that gives me chills. Well, I mean, just the, the purpose of the line for me uh, was at, at the very least, it was like a kill count because people weren't joining that line until they had killed their tether or the tether had yeah. killed their original. So it, it was just kind of a a cool way to show the instead of just showing like a pile of corpses we see a, a huge line stretching the entire country you're like oh everybody's dead <laughs> yeah lots of people are dead which i think was okay, cool so, like that final shot is yeah. uh, was really memorable seeing the the lines go across and the helicopters up there looking at them yeah it's really really crazy um okay so i think the message of this movie is that our society we live in a society ben we, our society Vivimos en una sociedad. <laughs> <laughs> our society is built on the backs of a suffering class. A suffering class that remains hidden except from themselves. Now, I think this was probably more true in the past than it is true now, but it's still certainly true now. Think about like our, our country was built um, with slavery. There are all these infrastructures, all these um, you know, institutions that are built, that were built around slavery. There's still lots of people out there that are kind of, uh, you know, uh, fans of slavery, I guess you could say. And that's, <laughs> I, I really like... Having a foam finger, like, slavery is number, is number one. one. <laughs> but... Like uh, and the, another great example is the Native Americans. And I think the Native Americans are more explicit in this movie. Um, there's that whole, there's the vision quest that, um, there's the hall of mirrors that Adelaide or red enters into and then gets replaced in. Um, and then there's the, it's like really very subtle, but there's an ad in the mag in the magazine that, um, Kitty, um, Tim Heidecker's wife is looking at and she points it out to, um, Adelaide and she's like, look, how, isn't this beautiful? And it's a picture of an Indian headdress. It's a, a white woman wearing an Indian headdress. Um, and it's just like, oh, this thing, like, you're benefiting from the suffering of other people, you know, um, and the, the vision quest, the reason I bring that up is because um, it's replaced it by, the, by Merlin's forest, right? But it's not really replaced. All the pieces inside are exactly the same. It's, the, it's just like the outside changed and like the, the outside is now like a wizard thing, like to better hide the plight or, you know, better hide the, um, the suffering that the Native Americans went through. It's not quite as um, explicit. It's a little bit more hidden, which is kind of the whole point of the tethered, that they're underground, they're hard, they're, you know, nobody knows they're there, and people would rather them not exist at all. But there they are, and they're constantly reminded of their own suffering. 
they're constantly seeing the world that they have to suffer through and they know why they have to suffer it's because other people upstairs are living better lives so like they it, it's it's this thing that like oh like we should be you should think about like how you live a life of privilege like you have all these things that you take for granted all these things that like all these pieces uh, and things that you enjoy and it's because other people are suffering that you can enjoy them think about like sweatshops or like um what was the other good example like any like basically anything that like um any like product or anything that's made in another country like oh your cell phone is a perfect example right there's that company foxconn that makes um iphones there was a whole thing about like they work their employees to death like the the employees like uh, work seven days a week um like for months and months and months and they can't make enough to even buy the products that they're making and like they have a they have such a like a problem with suicide they put up nets to keep people from jumping off of the roof like it's it's awful and like again like you don't think about that you don't see that because you you know you, they're on another place they're on the other side of the world they're suffering and making the things that you enjoy and you can get it for cheap and all that but you don't have to suffer the consequences that they have to suffer nor do they and they know like right they have the thing on there they see apple they they know where this is going and they know what went into making it but you don't and you don't have to see it out of sight out of mind Wow. Okay, I, I get it now. Because like I've heard the the meaning is like that the, like America is built on this suffering underclass. But I was like, that's not the case in this film. The, the the people underground aren't building or doing anything for the people above ground. But they're suffering as a result of the good things that are happening to the people above ground. Like the Christmas presents that end up being sharp and cutting their fingers and eating yeah. nice food, which ends up having them eat the rabbits. So, okay, I get it. It kind of goes in the opposite direction. But it's the same uh exact message which is yeah. i mean yeah it's definitely uh, like haunting i was talking to uh me and some of my coworkers are training for the thun or the uh oklahoma city memorial marathon uh we're not running the marathon like i'm not going to run the whole thing we're doing a relay so we have different legs of the marathon that will take turns running and we were on the road and we were talking about bananas. And I asked my friends, like, hey, do you ever refrigerate your bananas? And he goes, oh, I don't eat bananas. I did some research and the way that we get bananas into our country, it's really brutal. And he's like, I'd rather just not uh, eat bananas because I don't want to be a part of that system. And I was like, huh, you know, that's a really good point. And then we continue jogging and literally all of us are wearing Nike and Adidas, literally slaves put together all the clothes that we're wearing and we're like, mm, we're good people for avoiding bananas, you know? Like it's <laughs> Well, you remember that we, we made a film together about bananas and the, the horrors that bananas. That's right. Uh, you know, uh, like bananas are like one of the worst things um, and like cause so much suffering and like for so many people. There was this whole like, like riot or something that happened in the early 19th century. And like, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it's like either 200 people died or 2,000 people died. We don't know. Like some people came in with a train car and with a Gatling gun and fired into a crowd and nobody knows how many people died. Like, and it's be and that was because of bananas. Like it sounds so silly, but the reason that bananas are so cheap is because they're basically built with slave rate labor. It's, um, or grown with slave labor. So yeah, but I mean, this is another good, really great point that this movie makes is that you personally are responsible. That's the powerful thing about having the doppelgangers be, um, you know, copies of you, right? Is that every action that you're taking, and like, you know, 
Imagine if that movie, like, imagine if that was real, like that every action I took right now, somebody else was copying that, right? I'm sitting down in a chair talking into a microphone right now. There's somebody else, you know, underground <laughs> sitting in a chair talking to himself out like in the middle of an open space, you know, like, like, what does that look like? Or like if you're on your phone, right? I was thinking about that when I was watching the movie, watching Zora play on her phone, right? Think about what her tethered is doing in that moment. If she's copying every movement that she's doing, then she's like sitting there tapping nothing, you know? staring into nothing it's like like it's this kind of spooky realization that maybe every action you're taking is at the expense of somebody else i, I like that a lot yeah it's i really, mean what can you even do though that wouldn't be at the expense of somebody else like go jogging i guess <laughs> i don't know i mean that's the thing is like they they do make that case for like the dancing right like it's only because of that twist at the end it's only because that uh you know adelaide was such a a poor communicator that she began dancing and then red in turn learned to dance too so like maybe your physical actions have some sort of you know benefit down there but of course like this isn't real but this is there's also this like implication that like oh the suffering that of other people is like for your benefit and every time you do something or enjoy something of modern life it's at the expense of somebody else <sighs> it is uncomfortable and that's the whole point that's what makes like that's what makes this really this movie really amazing is that it delivers on the horror premise so well right it's scary it's fun it's exciting there's like great moments throughout then it hits you at the end and it's like oh like the like you're part of this you're you're as much a, like i accomplice this as anything else and i think the twist cert like aids this as well it proves the point that well, the only thing that matters is where you were born. You were, if you were born above ground, you enjoy the like the the lavish lifestyle that you that you can see. You can see the sun and feel the wind. But if you're born underground, then you're just like the people above ground. But you just are born to a like a worse situation. You have to freaking deal with it. it doesn't matter like whether that's fair or not. That's like how things are. And that's I mean that's not right. That's not what, the way things should be. But it, it, the point that they're making is that, like, you know, there's these people, there's people that you can't see that are suffering at your expense, which, yeah, I think I've made that point. Yeah, no. And I, I now I'm like, how did I not see it before? So it's uh, it's great. And, and that's the thing that you're, you're signing up for when you go to see a Jordan Peele film is kind of a uh, political commentary an underlying commentary uh, or cultural commentary, maybe. But yeah. it's it's something that. He's delivered on once again, and I I would I wish to uh, rescind my uh, my second con, which was that the meaning of this film is kind of up for grabs because I, I do think it's actually uh, now that you've laid it out, it's pretty clear. Uh, so one last deeper topic, and this is something I just want to lightly touch on. Um, we've kind of I've kind of gotten into a groove here ever since Captain Marvel talking about representation in film, and I don't even think. I guess I don't really feel like this is a big part of marketing of this film uh, as much as it was maybe for Get Out, like the the race the the race aspect of it. But this is a movie that stars uh, black actors, and uh, if the Oscars or the award shows are any uh, measure of representation in films, these types of films aren't made very much, and a lot of uh, there's just not a lot of representation for African Americans in film. So 
this is a good movie that features black actors, not a movie that's good because it has diverse representation with black actors. And I think that it's important to make that distinction because having a movie that stars a underrepresented or marginalized uh, group of people doesn't inherently make the film good, even if the intention is good. Uh, I think what really serves as appropriate representation is making something that's good, on, has merits on its own, that also features a diverse cast. Because otherwise, it's going to seem shoehorned in. It's going to seem like you're just making the movie to say that we made movies with, like we made a movie with black actors. And it's, it's not going to play uh, as well. Well, I think that the casting of uh, like the main characters as black actors actually helps like aid the message of this movie too. And that's that, like, you see their lifestyle, right? They can afford a beach home. They can go to the beach. Like, they can do all this stuff. Like, the dad can buy a, a boat kind of on a whim. Maybe it's not the nicest boat. You know, he's trying to keep up with the Joneses and stuff. Yeah. But he's still, they're still well off, right? They are part, they are just as much a part of this system that benefits from other people's suffering as anybody else. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. What matters is their class and their status in society. And... I mean, this, again, like, this helps move, like, this is the message, right? It's like, everyone, everyone has a role to play, and everybody who is of a certain level is enjoying the, like, the benefits of a society that's built on other people's suffering, and has been, been that way for a really long time. And you forget about it, and you act like it doesn't exist, and that's enough for people to kind of, you know, get rid of it or whatever. And yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, like you said, like this this movie does such a good job with the like making a movie that's good first and then caring about representation afterward or or not making that part of the what makes the movie good, I guess. I think that the casting choice does aid in the um like the message in a, in a in a good way because it shows that like nobody is necessarily free of this, but it also um it also like proves the point that like it doesn't matter like the color of your skin or anything what matters is if you're a good actor and these i mean these people have been in other great movies i mean um what's her name lupita uh i can't pronounce her last name i don't want to say it because i'm gonna mess it up she was in star wars she was maz Kanata. and then there's mbaku um you know winston uh what's his name he was also in uh winston duke he was in black panther which is you know award-winning movie these guys are great and they do such a great job carrying this movie um and it's because they're great actors um, so it's awesome seeing like, it's awesome seeing like uh, a director, I guess, like Jordan Peele, a producer like Jordan Peele, who understands like what's, I guess, I want to say what's important, but like, what's like, what's the point, I guess, like, what's the best way of getting representation in future movies? It's by showing great talent. And that's what he's doing here. Yes. Well, as a prolific uh, black producer, director, writer, I think Jordan Peele recognizes he has an opportunity to uh, provide opportunities for other people of the same race, but yeah. at the same time, he knows that's not the only thing that he's here to do, and even he's being, it would be disingenuous to the people that he's trying to give an opportunity to if that is all that he, they gave, that he gave them. Yes. It was an opportunity to be in a movie, not an opportunity to be in a great movie, uh, where yes. it, it, it's good because it's a good film, not because I'm giving opportunities to black actors. So uh, I think that this 
is a, it's just another, I think Black Panther and Get Out, like the, the, all these movies that are good on their own, who also happen to have a uh, very black cast, it's, uh, it's just more steps in the right direction. I don't think that anybody is going to look at this and be like, oh, that's a black film. That's only for black people. No, it's a great film that just happens to star uh, a black cast, which uh, yeah. I, I think it's masterfully done, and it's it's I think it's progress because there's so much discussion about diversity in Hollywood or whatever, and I think that this is the real solution. Don't get mad at some big corporation, cinematic company that's been around for a long time who's not representing, uh, you know, th- th- all the different races in the United States well enough because they've they've gotten it done with white people for such a long time. These new up and comers have that opportunity, and the only way that they're going to stick around is if they make great cinema uh but they also have that opportunity to include a diverse cast so yes that wraps it up for us i think it's time for our ratings joey do you want to go first yeah i'll go first i give this movie 327.2 million paper people in a little chain wow very nice and that's got to be what the shears are for right to cut them out yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why they needed so many okay that i i like that a lot um that sounds like high praise to me i'm giving this film four thumbs up two from me and two from my tethered clone we both like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh okay okay so what's next joey i don't know <laughs> dude you do know oh next movie we're doing is uh avengers um infinity war Yes, and this is going to be our most highly anticipated episode ever as far as guests go because we are going to have so many guests. Uh, This is going to be the greatest uh, crossover in in podcast history. It's true. It's true. We are going to have so many guests. You're not going to want to miss this. Uh, We'll be announcing our final list on our Twitter before we do this episode, our final list of all the guests that are going to be on there. But believe me, if you like how many different characters are in Avengers Infinity War, you're going to love how many guests we have on our next episode of Affable Chat. So we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Be prepared for the guests. The greatest crossover in podcast history. Okay, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at AffableChat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.